You are listening to the Lucha Central Podcast Network. And now, LuchaCentral.com presents Masks, Mats, and Mayhem. I'm not the man, but I am that motherfucker. Welcome to a very special edition of Masks, Mats, and Mayhem. I am your host, the Outlaw LA Red. You can find me on social media at JustinHarvey75. That's my government name. You can find the entire show on social media at MMMShow75. That right up there is at Byron Fever. That over there is at Lucha Gringa. My homie right here, that is at Meath Loaf over in Falmouth, England. And we are stoked. We're stoked to have you here today. We're stoked if you watched some of this over on uh, Expo Lucha over the weekend uh, last week. A couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. Uh, it was a tremendous event, Expo Lucha. It, it was good. A lot of people saw the first half. So if you're here right now, I got to tell you this. We are going to show you the entire – oh, look, Casey's getting hyped because he knows what got cut out. Oh, the entire, we kept the good stuff. The entire Vampiro interview uncut. We're giving you all of it. Vamp said it's okay. Kevin Kleinrock signed off on it, not that we cared. Um, Kevin was afraid. Kevin was afraid. I think Kevin he was, was afraid. afraid. For the whole thing to go out there, a because yeah, two hours is is a bit of time. It's a chunk of time to invest when you're just trying to, you know, get a lot of things in an expo lucha. And part of the thing of an expo is like a real exposition. You you hit a table, you go over here, you watch some matches, you do a lot of different little things, and you don't get the a full whatever. You know, you go to an autograph signing, you go to so you got you got the expo version of it. Like you went in, sat on a little bit of a seminar, a little bit of a panel. You got a taste. You got a taste. This week you're going to get the MMM show. Justin is no place for cowardice. It so really is the whole fucking thing. The, I mean, mm, we were the only place that had flavor. We were the only thing that had a parental advisory warning on the uh, the thing, and we still left out some stuff that was stronger than the f bombs you heard in that. <laughs> Much stronger, <laughs> by bit. the way. Yeah. If you are uh, if you are easily offended, this is not your interview. Um, Why are you listening you, to our show in the first place? If you're not a fan of Vampiro, however, this is your interview because you might find something new to dislike about him. If you are a fan of Vampiro, uh, this is some of the most heartfelt and and real shit that he's ever put into an interview. There's no kayfabing here. If he didn't want to talk about something, he just moved on. Typically, mm-hmm. he came back about 20 seconds later and said it anyway. But <laughs> um, I don't know. How do you how do you feel about what people saw last week compared to what they're going to get right now, Byron? I feel last week was a lot more focused on Lucha Underground topics and wrestlers. Um, but there's just so much more to Vampiro. There's so much more um, that he just gets into that you get into when you talk to someone. Uh, and and also, just for legal reasons, I think there's just a lot that you're going to see in this episode that we did not want to legally implicate any more people than necessary in. I agree. Casey, you excited for this? I agree too. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm excited every time we do a show. Um, but yeah, uh, no, look, <laughs> lies. My my favorite segment got cut, and I'm looking forward to seeing people react to my favorite segment. Oh, same. Me, Flo, what was it like doing this for yeah. you? I, I know a lot of people were oh. very happy for you more than the rest of us. I don't know why, but for some reason, everyone was really happy for you. 
Yeah, that's weird. They could see my little glowing face in the corner because I was so pale. Oh, that's why. But, um, Hashtag we're never no, putting meatloaf in that spot during an interview yeah. again. It's super distracting. Your paleness, your big shit-eating grin. It's all yeah, white teeth, color, white dude. face. We couldn't just we're put that block as a piece for of an white, English with white teeth. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, without no, further ado. I was super excited for it. Super excited. Byron, here's the yeah. thing. Drop in Denise Salcedo right here. We're going to hear what she's got for us this week on the Lucha Central Podcast Network. And after that, you will get the full, unedited version of Vampiro from this year's Expo Lucha, interviewed by Masks, Mats, and Mayhem right after this. Hey everyone, it's Denise Salcedo here in Lucha Central Central with a reminder of where and when to catch all of the great network content this week. Get the full lineup and listen to all of our shows in the podcast network section of luchacentral.com. Sundays on the Lucha Central Facebook page, world traveled shooter of the camera kind, Jerry Villagrana goes mano a mano with a fellow photographer to throw down about some of their favorite photos they have taken at Lucha Libre events. Monday, Business of the Business returns as Mass Republic President Kevin Kleinroth takes you inside how your favorite Lucha Libre merchandise gets made. On Tuesdays, Mass Mats and Mayhem takes you inside the world of Lucha Underground as they take you weekly through the series with the benefit of hindsight and the benefit of special guests from the groundbreaking series. Check out the premiere video stream every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Lucha Central YouTube channel and at LuchaCentral.com. Then listen to it on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday. Tuesday nights live, it's WrestleBoss, where Favi Chulo talks MMA and pro wrestling with special guests and listener call-ins. Visit WrestleBossLive.com Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific to listen live or call in with questions or download the show on podcast platforms on Wednesdays. Wednesday nights live on Facebook, it's Spanish show La Mesa de los Margaros, giving you both the news and the cheese made from around the lucha world. Special guests and a whole lot of fun make it one of the most talked about shows in Mexico. Thursdays, it's straight out of the bodega with Papo Esco and PWR promoter Gabriel Ramirez as they have guests from throughout the wrestling world pull up to give an inside look into their careers. From indie standouts to television superstars, each week brings a new name and perspective. On Friday, it's your double dose of Lucha Central weekly podcast, one in English y el otro en español. Lucha Central Weekly is where you'll find all the top stories of the week, both inside and out of the ring from Mexico and anywhere luchadores are in action across the globe. Be sure to subscribe and follow all your favorite Lucha Central Network series on your favorite podcast platforms, either by their own series name or subscribe to the Lucha Central Podcast Network show pages to get all of the shows in one easy feed. And please consider giving a rating to help more fans find the shows that you love. For now, this is Denise Salcedo signing off from Lucha Central Central. Have a great week. You guys all know him as the one and only Vampiro. Hey, how's it going today, Ian? It's going well, man. It's good to see you guys. I recognize, you know, I'm dealing with that head trauma shit. I recognize those names. So I know now I can see where the fuck you guys are. <laughs> oh, yeah, which is which is funny. I'll, I'll bring this one up right off the bat. I think it was uh, Triple Mania 26, I want to say. And you were giving, giving me a shout out on the show at some point. I think it was during the prelims or something. And you called me Outlaw L.A. Reed instead of L.A. Red, which was absolutely hilarious to all of my friends. 
I'm sorry about that, dude. Don't, don't dude, don't hey, even apologize. Conan came on here and called me Jason for four and a half hours. So yeah, yeah that's that's true. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, man. Oh, no, hey, you did fun. you did tell Matt Stryker that I would beat him at the wrestling name game though, so I was thank you for that. I was super happy with that. <laughs> Um, so here's where I really want to start off. I want to start off talking to you from the end, from where you are right now, because over the years, I, I've seen a shift in you. And I think a lot of people have, you know, and, and How we're so? not personal friends or anything, but at the same time, you know, I've been around in places where you've been and seen your career and your trajectory. And I'm really curious to know as this North American talent, you're not even an American talent, a Canadian talent or Mexican talent. You're a North American talent. You've covered this whole continent and you've had all these different incarnations of yourself, whether it be a bodyguard or whether it's a wrestler or a rocker or into some of the more presenter stuff that you're doing now. And even a father, I want to know what you feel is the legacy of Ian Hodgkinson. This is really good. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Uh, since since Lucha Underground, you know, I've lost 130 pounds, for example. So uh, I, 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 I'm coming to the realization that um, I, I, wrestling was an accident. You know, the fame, the success, it wasn't supposed to happen. But I'm 40 years into it now. I, I, I've lived my life um, like a chameleon. You know, I, I've got so many curiosities and, and interests that uh, from a very young age, I, I was inspired by certain things. And I've always um, pursued those interests to find out more and more to the extreme. Uh, I ran away from home when I was really young because I wanted to experience life on the road as a gypsy. Um, I was moved by blues music and uh, the early Rolling Stones and the Who. So I used to, I, I, I ran away from home, I think I was 12, and I went and saw the Rolling Stones. Um, I, I got into punk rock, so I kind of was supposed to play pro hockey, but I quit that so I could play in a band. Uh, then I lost interest there, and I became a pro wrestler. And, and uh, I think my point is um, I, I really enjoy living life. I really enjoy being single, I really enjoy being able to go on the road and, and never come off it and just explore adventures and share that information with people. I, I think I'm a storyteller. I, I'm not sure why that happened. I, I just enjoy learning. I enjoy watching. I enjoy listening and analyzing things and experiencing it. Uh, I, I don't know why that is, um, uh, but I, I wouldn't trade my life for anything. And I'm, I'm blessed. I'm grateful. It's, it's not easy, especially when you're injured. Like I've got a lot of, you know, I almost died a few times because of my injuries. Um, it's not the safest and most stableest way to live. You know, economically, it's horrible. Um, but this is what I was born to do, and I do it well. So I might as well continue to go that way. That makes sense. Um, you know, By Byron was doing a little bit of digging, speaking of where you're kind of at now. You know, you just came off the the L Ray show um, and you, you had your own interview show on there, but now the network itself is gone. I mean, yeah. what, what kind of turn of, event, of events was that? Were you expecting that? Did you know that? Like what, what was that experience like for you in, in this stage of your career, finally getting like a, a cool show that was your vehicle and then having the whole network disappear. 
Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it's kind of like, I, I'm, I'm not sure, dude. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, I, I don't really know. It didn't really phase me. It doesn't, it just, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's another gig. You know what I mean? If I'm wrestling, if I'm playing in a band, if I'm on tour, yeah. if I'm getting a tattoo, if I get into a fight, if I, if I, it's just another day at the Vampiro office, bro. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You know, Justin and I also work in TV, and often um, the experience of the thing is when you're making it, and by the time it airs, you're on to something else, you know? Um, and speaking of something else, I've been watching your um, your daily Facebook videos, and, and this is going to air um, after the announcement, after um, everything has been made public, but I'm super excited about what – you got going on next yeah well that just came about yesterday actually <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. I've, I've been i've been rehearsing for a, a spoken word tour for i'm a big henry rollins fan and i i grew up in that era of punk rock when, right. when the original version like cbgb's went from like the ramones and and uh blondie johnny thunders and the heartbreakers to new york hardcore skinhead punk rock like just fucking <laughs> So I come from that era, and I'm a very big fan of, of um, Howard Stern. I'm a very big fan of Henry Rollins because of the just not planning anything but planning everything. What I mean by that is their spoken word abilities, especially Henry Rollins. So I've figured, how am I going to – what am I going to do with Vampiro next? And then this will answer the question. So uh, – I I I, I want to play in a band. I like being around wrestling. I like going to horror cons. I like doing all that stuff. Acting, I, I really, a lot of people say I'm very charismatic, and I should, but I, I, I just, I'm so against the system that I, I couldn't sell my soul to the devil to do that. So what can I do to continue to be an entertainer? So I started a TV network, started a radio network. It's not enough. Then I thought, well, fuck it. Just do a spoken word word world tour. And I've been rehearsing for that. And instead of going on the road and learning my craft and then going to the big show, I'm starting with a residency in Las Vegas. So uh, that's pretty fucking cool. And then I'm, so I'm rehearsing yeah. for that. That's why I'm doing all the Facebook stuff. And the El Rey show was part of that rehearsal. And so I never really looked at it like I had my own TV show. I looked at it as a live rehearsal. And I, didn't, and I just wanted to see where I'm at, trying different attitudes and all this shit. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call uh, from Stryker. He's like, dude, 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 dude. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you got to fucking call these guys right now. This thing's going on, and it starts in a month. And I told them all about you, and, and, and uh, well, shit. And I said, okay, well, what the fuck is it? And he says, well, just call and take a look at this link, and I'm going to do it. And I said I wouldn't do it without you. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, well, what is it? <laughs> so I called, and uh, – you know, at the end of the phone call, I, I was, I became the face of the company. I signed the contract right there on the phone. And now I'm uh, going to be broadcasting with him, but I'm also going to be the social media influencer and, and the media guy. And it's so strange because right before that phone call, I just made the deal with this tequila company I'm working with to have a Vampiro product in that Ooh. tequila line. So all this is happening at the same time. And then with, with the, the action figures coming out and the graphic novel and then the band, the biohazard, Billy biohazard made my music for my album. And I'm like, 
<laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> just mind blo- my mind is yeah. blown too. It's like, man, every time we think Vamp is just gonna chill at the crib for a little while and take it easy, you keep getting more stuff yeah. on your plate. Yeah, I can't. I can't do that. I wasn't born that. Yeah. I, I've tried to conform many times, and uh, it, it, it's 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 almost like slow death for me to try to fit into the nine to five world or fit into a, a community or like I'm home in Canada right now because my mom's real sick and this COVID thing, so I'm here. Um, it, just because I don't know how much longer I have with my mom, but I'm 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 in my garage and I'm doing all these things and studying and re- if I'm not working 29 hours a day and the most uh, obscure things that I'm not like 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 all this stuff I just told you is the small stuff. Yeah. The, the 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 whole ancient aliens project and the ascension theory and the protocols and and the spirituality that I'm involved in and the meditation and the groups mm-hmm. and and like. I'm at the point now with my meditations, I can go to a different dimension. I have a piece of, in where is it? I have a piece of the meteor in my room here that was part of the original meteor that crashed into earth and caused life. And in that meteor, if I put a light to it, you can see energy and life floating around in this rock that's 17 fucking billion years old. I mean, I, I, I'm doing ritual magic as a profession. I've been doing it for 30 years. So I'm so like, Vampiro gets in the way of my studies, you know, and uh, yeah, so I don't really know what to say, except um, I'm really enjoying being alive right now. Well, that, that's kind of what the inter- interesting things I think about you is because you are very complex and, and different in a lot of ways. And for me, I'm kind of a product of the generation, maybe a couple ticks right after you, you know, I'm about seven years younger, but I grew up with punk rock and black flag and, you know, DRI and, dead milkman and whatnot. And I had dreadlocks and I was in these bands. And then one day I saw you on WCW and I can't say that I was real big into wrestling at the time. I had been as a little kid, but something about what you were doing clicked with me. And it wasn't as a fan of like a lot of other stuff that I was, it was more like, Holy shit. These idiots put one of us on TV. What the fuck were they thinking? Like, how how did this guy get here? And it was so amazing to me because I was a fan of of certain wrestlers and wrestling. But like I had ECW shirts. I didn't buy any performer shirts. I bought ECW shirts because I thought the product was a cool punk rock thing. And WCW, I watched because I like seeing a lot of the old guys come over and God, what are they going to do with these old dudes and what's going to happen here and some of the stuff that was going on. But I got to tell you. The, the one cool story I have about you from Lucha Underground is, and Byron probably has the picture there. I got yeah. your shirt from WCW. That shirt is 25 fucking years old now, I think. And uh, you saw me coming in that day and, and EV-Dub grabbed the photo of us out there. And uh, you called me out in front of the whole audience during the taping, which was cool, you know. And, and the thing that was more cool than that then you calling it out and saying, you know, I, I appreciate you for doing that. And this is a, a real fan from back in the day was during the intermission. I was talking to Evie dub and striker came up to me and he says to me, thank you for doing that for my friend. And then he just shook my hand and I looked at Evie dub. I was like, what was that about? And he was like, you know, vamps a complicated guy. And I could tell from the look in strikers eyes that it had meant something to you, but for, for you, I just think that you don't know sometimes the impact that you've had because you've been all these places and done all these things. 
But a lot of us looked at you as one of us, whether it be the Juggalos or the punk rock kids or the horror fans like Casey up there, you know, or the Lucha Libre fans like me and the wrestling fans and the WCW guys like Byron there, Mm -hmm. you know. So in putting it in a question for you and just kind of tying back to that legacy thing, what is the impact that you think of what wrestling has brought to you? Has it been a curse or a blessing? Why would Eric say I'm a complicated guy? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That might be a phone call. <laughs> I don't know. That was his response. He he always he's always said that about you. He said you're a complicated guy, and he's always said he loves you. Those are the two things that Eric's ever said to me about you. Um, it's really touching. Uh, I, I've never looked at myself as, uh, important or famous or impactful. I've always tried to remain an, an underdog and fight for the underdog. So hearing your words, um, are quite moving. Um, I don't know, dude. Uh, I never cared about wrestling. I became really good at it. Not as a wrestler, but as somebody who connected with the audience. But I was more about the entrance and the exit, the rock star moment, that, 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 that fucking, that thing that the fans needed. Because mm-hmm. I'm tired of my job. I don't want to fight with my parents. My, my, my partner and my relationship is fucked. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I need somebody to say, I got you back. And that was my role. And that was my connection with people. I didn't really care about any of the other stuff. I just cared about being that, just having that moment and, and at that one second looking and getting, and I see you, motherfucker. And when I, saw that I acknowledged people and they knew it was authentic. That's what my career, that's my legacy. That's my, I'm, I'm just like you are. I I'm that's, I'm not any different. And when people say you're so important and you've done so many things, I, I, I don't understand it because I've never really paid attention to it. I didn't know Matt. I don't, I don't understand what, what's wrong with those two fucking guys. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think they got a lot of love for you. I mean, Stryker yeah. definitely does, you know, I mean, Stryker- the, the whole Lucha Underground thing was just it, people talk about it being a family, but you know, that family had to be created and having been at so many of the tapings that we were at, I was you see that. that show. I was the fucking heartbeat of that show. I yeah. Really, and there's no, you can't argue with me on that one. No, I mean, you see, like, everyone who's been on that show, who has been to a taping or has seen it, talks about the crowds being unlike any other place. And the first thing that happens when you get in your seat is Vampiro gets in a ring and hypes everyone up and tells them what's in store. And it goes from there. And without that hot start, you know, 
it's, I mean, there wouldn't be like the bodily fluid chance, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so like, and in those big moments to see that, you know, you throw down the headset and, and jump around with the fans or, yeah. or to check on, or to check on a wrestler on an athlete after something, you know, potentially dangerous that happened. It, it really created this, um, you know, it continued that one of us sort of aspect. And, you know, Byron, yeah. uh, If I may, there's a moment that I think encapsulates that perfectly. And it was before believers backlash too. And this was, this was one that no one saw this on TV, but there was one person that can talk to that crowd and tell us to not fuck this up. (laughs) <laughs> and not fuck it up for everybody, not fuck up the match, do everything the right way and do everything the way it was supposed to be done. And that was Vampiro. And everyone loved and respected him so much that that match went off without a hitch. If you tried that anywhere else with any other crowd, with yeah. anyone else telling them what to do, it wouldn't have worked. But you had every, you had that whole building doing what they were supposed to do out of respect and love for you. <laughs> then that's my legacy. It was never in the ring. And I had been out of wrestling for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was dealing with my mental health sickness and stuff like that. And for me to have the people here and here, and I would come off this, I would, I just knew that that's my home. That's my house. And it would drive the dressing room crazy that no matter that no matter what they did, flipping and flying and all the other shit, there was nothing they could do to touch me. I was fucking dominating. And I was just an old dude behind the desk. And why? Because the image that you all talk about and that tough guy and the street guy and well that wasn't made in the creative meeting. That was made in that club. That was made Lower East Side. That was made in the East End in Montreal. That was made in East End, Los Angeles, West Hollywood. That was made in the streets of Mexico City. Fucking scraping by and fighting the fucking fight my whole life. There is no bullshit here. There was no storyline. There is no character. There is no gimmick. Vampiro is just the name. That persona is the real fucking deal. I've been walking that walk since I was born. So if I go in the ring and... I can say those things and I can make that happen. I never really thought about it, but it's pretty fucking powerful, dude. It's, it's the yeah. most powerful. And I'll tell you what, you know, when we had Conan on here, he talked about breaking down in the first season about how he couldn't hack it and, and it wasn't working out for him because he didn't have that juice that you had. It was it was the time that you actually really did legitimately without any beef or any bullshit. You got over on him because that that place was yours and and he knew it. And I think it's part of one of the reasons why he he kind of fucked himself over and left. But going back to he he said that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He he said he came on this show. You have to send me that. He he came on this show. (laughs) He came on this show and basically said that, you know, he he was losing it during the first season. It wasn't going the way that he wanted. He was super stressed out. And, and, you know, it was it was right for him to go away from Lucha Underground, which I think is unfortunate because he had he had something to offer, but it wasn't working out for him. It wasn't the right time and place for him. How 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 was you how was your dealing with him in that first season? I don't want to touch that one. 
No, he he did say nice things about you too. He said yeah, that you guys don't have any beef no, anymore. Oh, no, he's my brother, man, and I, I love him to death. But I I I don't want to I don't want to I don't I, I don't want to go there. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say on the back of what you're saying. Believe me, he's my fucking friend, and I'll, I'll fight to death for him. There's I got nothing bad to say about him. Uh, he is a different guy. He marches to the beat of a different drummer, as do I. Um, there's a little bit more to his story, and, and uh, you know he does he does him, and and it 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 didn't really go the way that he was anticipating, and it was it, that. But that's the you know if you're gonna make a big play, you're either gonna get a big result or you're gonna get a big knockdown, and and I think that he fought a machine that he wasn't ready to fight, and uh, it is what it is. But I don't give a fuck, man. If he called me right now, I, I'd be there by his side. He's my boy. I mean, look, there was a lot of chefs in the kitchen of Lucha yeah. Underground. And if you were going to try to fight a battle, you were fighting against a lot of generals and jefes. I mean, there you had so many different entities, whether it be AAA and Dorian or the Lucha Libre F&V or El Rey or Burnett's people over at MGM or just even other people in the production. That's a, a beast. But there's only um, one that you still talk about. And who's that? <laughs> the guy getting you ready right now, bro. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so I do I do want to talk about that first season a little bit because I, I feel like it was an experiment. It was a bit of a, a new thing for everybody. And it's part of the reason why we all got on board was not because we knew it was going to succeed or we had all this faith in the product. But it was like, holy shit, Robert Rodriguez and Mark Burnett. You know, Byron and I both work in reality TV and, you know, we're all huge fans of Rodriguez. It was like, holy shit, these two guys are making a wrestling show with Lucha Libre. How is that possible? I mean, it's like, how did you get involved at this? Oh, tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see them in the stands cheering? Not once. Did you see them? Yeah, absolutely. So. I don't give a fuck what initials you put in front of that show. That show was made by the talent from Mexico and the indie talent who had love for the business and the fans. No fuck Robert Rodriguez and Mark Barnett. I love those two guys. And Robert's my boss. You'll probably fire me now. (laughs) I don't really care. But I cannot give credit to those two because they didn't do it. You did it. We did it. That's fucking it. That's true. I mean, they they were they were on the marquee, but that wasn't really the appeal no, of Lucha Underground. They weren't. No, they were not in the marquee. I came out. Did you hear me mention them once? No. I mentioned you. I mentioned the wrestlers. I mentioned you. Your energy. Your power. Your passion. Yeah. 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 I'm I, I'm sorry. Everybody else can. I love those two guys, and I respect the shit out of them. They're both billionaires, and I'm I'm, I'm almost homeless. <laughs> but that's always that's not always the important thing. The money isn't always the important thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. But that show was made by the fans. No one else. So I gotta ask you this. You know, Casey was talking about how you came out and you would get us all riled up and pumped up. And oh, we saw yeah. that a lot of times. <laughs> there were days where you did it where I would see you before the show or you and Stryker would be out and you know, or, or agenting somebody or doing something else. And you were barely walking, man. Like you're, you, you looked like you were in pain and we would, we would even be worried about it. But then the lights would go on and it'd be time to start the show and you would jump up out of that fucking chair and get that whole room yeah. screaming, Lucha, Lucha. Mm-hmm. And then it got to the point where you did something I did not expect. You decided to take on this thing of being the maestro 
and you got back in that fucking ring for that crazy Ultima Lucha uh, one Sailor Miedo yeah. match. How did how the fuck did you get there that first season? What made you want to do it? Hmm. Uh, well, the story is uh, we, they were going to fire Pentagon because he wasn't getting it wasn't working, and because he didn't understand uh, how to how 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 to do this in the United States. And he was doing things and he looked, he looked bad. He didn't look like a polished pro. And they asked me, they said, you know, we're going to, we, one of my roles in, in Lucha Underground, I was an agent. I had the most difficult people to, to work with. If you're a fan of Lucha Underground and you saw the most aggressive matches, the mm-hmm. most, that those were my matches, obviously. And I said, give him to me. I'll fix him. And after a couple of weeks, it started to turn around and he was getting over and he was listening to me and he was getting out of his bad habits. But then they said, okay, what do we do? And I said, he needs to beat somebody famous. He needs to beat an established person so that he can do this. He can go up here. Nobody wanted to work with him. Nobody wanted to, to put him over. Nobody wanted to do anything. So I said, I'll do it. And they were like, you're crippled. You can't even fucking walk and you're doing 20 jobs on the show. And I said, yes, so who else? And I said, I guarantee you don't tell anybody. And we came up with the, the whole angle. He didn't even know it was me the, my, until the very end. He didn't know what was happening until the end of the show uh, before we went in the ring. He knew that something was going on, but we, we didn't tell anybody that it was me. Nobody knew. Nobody had a fucking clue. Nobody knew the finish. Even in the, in the, in the TV room, me and Christy Joseph, we knew. I think I told Stryker and he was like, get the fuck out of here. And I said, I'm telling you, this is what's going down right now. And uh, it was supposed to be a six minute match. And I think I, I did like 33 minutes or something. And yeah, if you break TV, you know that nobody <laughs> talked to me after that, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, you guys are not wrestling people. And this is my moment. And in order for the fans to believe him, if he beats me in six minutes, they're not going to believe it. He has to go to fucking war and he has to, almost die and so do I mm-hmm. and that is the only way that this is going to work uh, I said to myself I can't walk uh, my mental health my, the, the Alzheimer's thing and my, my chronic arthritis and the broken back and everything and I was like you know what if I die here in this ring then, then so be it you know because I'll die with my family and I uh, I just knew that I was going to do something for that kid that somebody had done for me and I just thought it was the greatest thank you I could ever give to pro wrestling was to make another uh, somebody famous to, to make a living at this. And I thought there's only one way to go. And that's you. I told him, if you don't hit me with everything that you got, I'm going to fucking kill you. So it's up to you. So you better get it in. Cause when I, when, when it's my turn, it's, it's, I'm, it's coming and it's coming fucking hard. And, uh, he was like, are you serious? And I smacked him in the fucking face. And I said, you better bring it, brother, because this is your night. And when I called him at the end to break my arm and all that stuff, he didn't know that I was going to say I'm the master. Nobody knew. And you can see that. And I, I, was, I was thankful and blessed. I was thankful to God that I had the opportunity to do it my way. 
It blew our fucking minds. Yeah. yeah. We, okay. So, so me, Byron, and Justin were there live. We were the assholes with the Pentagon signs at ringside. That was us. But we fucking loved that match. And we're just like, these guys are killing each other. This is amazing. Two yeah. of our favorite wrestlers are fighting against each other right now. And we got to see the full version of the match, which I wish was out there somewhere for everyone. Because mm-hmm. everyone keeps asking us about it. Like, what was different? What was it like? There's so and much. There's so much more. Shaking when I was going down the stairs. You could feel yeah. the building moving. It yeah. Was, yeah. I, I, would, I was. That was it, man. That's, that was, that's what Vampiro is all about. Mm-hmm. If you feel the building go like this, then I'm on. Then I'm on. Yeah, through the four seasons, through all the Ultima Luchas, every that was the biggest pop of the of the whole thing. Biggest, I think, right? That yeah, th- your program with Pentagon stands out. You know, see, still season one of a show that was a while ago. Still vivid memories. Uh, that was just that was our favorite. Uh, we were huge Pentagon fans, and we came in there huge fans of Imperial. So like, we were stoked to see you there. We were super excited to see that you were about to race fists with someone. Uh, everything, every every note that you and Pentagon hit in that story was just amazing. And that match is probably, speaking only for myself, the favorite, my favorite match I've ever seen live. Oh, oh, absolutely mine as well. Lucha-masks.com in partnership with Mass Republic give you personal protective masks to keep you Lucha strong in the fight versus COVID-19. With world-class luchadors Blue Demon Jr., the Lucha Brothers, L.A. Park, Ultimo Dragon, Kane Velasquez, Conan, and so much more. Head to lucha-masks.com and you too can become a masked warrior. Lucha-masks.com, powered by Pro Wrestling Revolution. You were one of those guys we always talked about yeah. in high school. I remember because- I remember complaining to Casey back in the day, um, and I don't know how accurate this is because it's something from a dirt sheet from like the n- late 90s. But I remember Probably not accurate. Yeah, you yeah. came in with with the nail in the coffin finish. And then um, then you started doing uh, a roll up on Saturday night shows. Um, and I read that it was because Hoovy didn't want you to use the Michinoku driver. Oh, I remember us talking. And about I, I was so mad because I'm like, he still has the 450. Why does he have to have every move? Uh, uh, no, and, dude, I remember. I remember, the, Hoobie, I remember do you, do you the, remember the music though, Byron? The music that, was always what, awesome. That's but, what got me to shit my pants. Is I, I'm like, wait, did I just hear the fucking Misfits, Abominable yeah. Doctor Fibes for this entrance yeah. music? It's and dope, just, but like. The whole thing that you you came out and you and you looked like one of us, but also the the early break in period at WCW when they didn't get you. It's that's something that we all have felt and encountered, and it, that also helped just kind of create that bond between us and you until they had no no choice but to put you on their main stage. Um, it was awesome, yeah. So yeah, Casey and I were friends back then too. So wow, yeah. um, Hoovy. I remember when I met Hoovy, he was just a little boy and his, I was working with his father a lot. And uh, I gave Hoovy a, a, one of my original leather jackets because I was that close with his father. And um, I actually gave him my original Vampiro jacket. And I, I was going to Japan for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. Uh, I was in Michinoku Pro Wrestling for six or seven years. I mean, I was doing the Michinoku driver before Michinoku was. Um, 
and when I, I saw it, I just kept doing what I do. And, and, um, I, I did it. And, and Hoovy is such a little, a, a, a little controversial person. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. I, when he, he caused this scene and he started, he literally had a nervous breakdown about it and he started crying and, um, he, like tears crying and and they called me in the office and they gave me this big speech and I was like fuck dude I've been doing this for 25 years I got 752 million different things I can do I don't give a shit and he turned around and made it this big public thing that he had this big that he was so important that they took it away from me took it away from me what the fuck are you talking about go ahead and take it it's like can you if you go to the NBA what only LeBron James can slam dunk the ball Right. Right. It's yeah. like, you know, who, who, I, I, I'm in such a different place as a person that he, he, this is the worst thing you can ever say about somebody. If they were standing in front of you and you looked them in the eye and with all the sincerity in your heart and soul and your DNA, and you can say, you just don't even exist to me. You could be dead. You could die. You could become a millionaire. You can be anything you want to be right now. You can disappear in a ball of flame, and I will not remember your name in less than a blink of an eye. You don't exist. You're that insignificant in my world. So I, I fuck, you know, I, I, I it doesn't, he doesn't even, it didn't phase me. It didn't, it didn't make a fucking dent in the way I breathe. You know what I mean? And yeah. he, he turned into this thing. Yeah, you should, just, just say, you should just keep dedicating it to taking big Samoan dick in the ass and we're not waiting for Justin's got some funny uh, Hoovy stories. Oh, fuck, <laughs> uh, that's, only, that's only speculation, by the way. Yeah, I, 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 I got my own heat. Samoan. <laughs> <laughs> I got my own heat with Hoovy, but that's, that's a whole other story for another day. I want to ask you very specifically – about a very specific wrestler, um, a guy known once as El Macias, Ricky Banderas, nowadays known as Mil Muertes. There's stuff that you and Ricky did down in Mexico. Hell yeah. And you guys had been beat up already. I mean, you guys have both been around for a while at this point in time. But the stuff that you guys did in Mexico was different to me. And I would see these matches and you guys weren't as fast as you were when you were young, but it didn't matter. Something about that period in time in both of your careers, I could see that you guys were going out there. And I think that's one of the times when I could see in your face that you actually truly loved being in the ring. And I don't know if that's true or not, but there was something about what you and Ricky were doing down there that stood out to me from your career. So I'm curious what you think of of Ricky Banderas and and that part of your career in Mexico. Did you ever see the matches we had in Puerto Rico? I did, and they fucking I was about yeah. Say Puerto Rico, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, wrestling oh. through the crowd. Some of the best entrances I've ever seen in my life, too. Yeah, um, in our sport, or in boxing, or in martial arts, uh, there's very few generations that can say they have a rival rivalry. Um, you know, John, uh, in, in pro wrestling, I guess, Flair and Steamboat, um, mm-hmm. uh, an example, you know, um, there's always going to be that one guy that if you click, 
it's dangerous because you're going to hurt each other because you're okay with that because you love that person. He became my best friend in this business pretty much instantly when I met him in Puerto Rico. And we, we, we battled, we were partners, we were enemies, we, but we, we sold out baseball stadiums in, in Puerto Rico and we, we were violent. We were violent. And, um, you can only do that with a certain kind of person that you know if that person is willing to take it as well as give it, then that's the guy you want to do that with. You can't go with a guy who's, well, let me, you know, this with Ricky and I, this is probably not the smartest thing to admit in public, but it was like a bottle of tequila and two Percocets and two Vicodins. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Fucking keep your chin up, kid. Okay. And that was it. And we went out there and just fucking went. Um, a lot of my injuries and a lot of the onset of the Alzheimer's came from the head injuries from him. Cause I was like, I'm not one of those wrestlers that put their hands up for a chair shot or a punch or something like that. So it was like, if you're going to fucking hit me, you best hit me to kill me, bro. Because that's what I'm going to do to you. And these 22,000 people believe in us. This is all we got in life is we're going to leave it out there tonight. And we did that, I guess, for 22 years now. All right. So I, I got to throw in a couple of fan questions. We got some oh, questions. He sent me a message. He says, calls me bitch. And I called him. I said, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was watching, uh, I was watching um, uh, one of your meditations, uh, I think yesterday's meditation. And the only comment was Ricky saying, call me, brother. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's my boy, man. Yeah. I love him to death. And, uh, you know, he, he's just, it, he's, he's, if I ever met anybody who's on the same playing, who's, yeah. I've always said it, I'm have an image or a reputation of being that extreme guy or the one who didn't care, or the one who jumped out of balconies and landed on his head and did all these things. If there was one person who was worse than me, for crossing the line, it would be him. Yeah. No, no. Having been in the crowd at the temple, both temples, uh, we're very aware of that. Uh, I was, I kind of want to know. like the nicest guy in the world. But yeah. Man, yeah. When he's out front and he says, move, you he fucking, fucking move. move. He's yeah. just throwing wrestlers into fans left and right, destroying chairs. It's something to see. It's yeah. We, yeah, it is. We, we, yeah, we fucking, we had some violent ones. We had some really violent ones. Bad, bad shit, dude. Fuck. Yeah. I feel like the best also, I gotta, thing in a wrestling I gotta, match. Oh, sorry, Justin. I feel like the let, best let thing me throw in a wrestling this in real quick. in their life. Go ahead, Justin. I got I to throw it because it just applies right here, and it's a question from our homie Goatsay, okay. who's uh, oh, a big yeah, fan yeah. of this show yeah. and of Lucha Underground and of you. And he, re- he wants to know what was the most sadistic Goatsay. thing. Goatsay. What was the most no, sadistic he's... thing that ever happened to you in wrestling? I put myself through it for 40 years. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Next year, next year, if I wrestle, if I put my foot in a ring as Vampiro next year, 2022, I can officially say I've wrestled in five different de- decades. Jesus. Wow. Yes. Nice. And that's some Terry Funk shit right there. Yeah, awesome. yeah. 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 It is. But you know what? I'm 54 years old in May. 
and I feel like I'm 15. I'm fucking playing in, a, in, the, in, in the greatest punk rock band. I'm, I'm living, I'm loving life, man. I don't look at my age. I'm like 54. How the fuck can that be? Because I'll kick your fucking ass and I still do all the things we did and I'm playing. I mean, hey, man. Fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. You get that atmosphere going. And what, what I was going to say before Goatsay's question there, he asked that straight from Australia, actually. He, he sent He's that question. Macedonia? Uh, I got to say that me, me and Byron had a conversation that, uh, at Ultima Lucha one, that if you, if you're in a crowded wrestling match and you don't feel like you're going to get fucked up watching it, like it's less of a good time. And the chaos that you bring to your matches with mm-hmm. Ricky, like I could tell that a lot of those people had that vibe and they were amped up and it was like, ah, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of vibe I look for in wrestling, yeah. man. And I just want to thank you for bringing that to us, bringing it to the fans so that we can look at the screen or we can look in the crowd and we can just be like, fuck yeah, motherfucker. That's, that's why I watch this yeah. <laughs> that feeling right there. Well, yeah. And I want to thank you for, for producing and bringing some of the most, some of our favorite matches too. And I want to ask perhaps uh, which ones stand out to you. Um, you know, things like uh, what, what was it? Hell of War. I mean, these are things that also made names, made faces. Grave consequences. Grave consequences. Um, what uh, stands out to you? The the comment before stands out to me because uh, I, I pride myself, as I said, and I'll get to yours. Forgive me. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. I, I learned how to do that here. In the pit. Gotcha. Gotcha. At the volume at number 10. This place behind me, GB's, it's the size of a dressing room. There's nothing to it. And uh, everything that influenced me, uh, breaking new grounds, being on the forefront, creating something that is so out there, came from there. And that's my influence. And my promise to that was I would one day somehow get one of us on mainstream television and get that message out there and create that chaos. And that was my mission in wrestling. And I learned it all from CBGBs. And um, what you just said that if, if I'm involved and there's no sense of danger, then I'm not involved, you know, and I prided myself on that. It's the pit slam dancing, loud rock and roll. That was my deal. So when you ask me what matches stood out, none of them, I, I didn't watch the matches. I couldn't give a fuck about the matches. I was more concerned about is the crowd doing this? Mm. That, I don't give a shit. Fuck you guys. Look, motherfuckers. I, I, I've been selling out stadiums around the world for the better part of three and a half decades. I get the wrestling. I want to know, are these motherfuckers bouncing for two straight yeah. hours? Because if they don't, if they rest for one second, then something's fucking wrong and I'm going to go out in that crowd and kill somebody. So <laughs> it's all about Look, you complain about everything. You're fucked up in the head. You got shitty things going on in life. You're asking for a solution. You want a fucking outlet? Well, motherfucker, here it is. Don't you fuck me over because I did this for you. So you better give me back when I'm getting. That's my attitude. I don't mind smacking the fan. Wake up, motherfucker. And that's rock and roll, brother. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 I love it. I mean, and and dude, I came from kind of that era too of just wanting to get it all out and being in those mosh pits. And then I went and did kickboxing for a while. And, you know, and our generation, I think, was very proud of the fact that we basically invented a sport with MMA and we got to see like 
this new kind of thing coming into being an actual sport. It was always there. We all, we know it was always there, but to see, you know, fighting come into this new world of being a professional sport. And, you know, I came up around a lot of those guys too, and, and seeing where mixed martial arts and combat sports in general has gone and the, the levels of realism and violence that came to wrestling, especially in the mid late nineties and kind of stuck around. I think that is kind of the influence of our generation because that's what we were feeling. That's what, that is the outlet that we needed. Um, but it kind of brings me to some of the other side of you where you you've got the Krav Maga thing going on in the school and you know, your, your interests are not just in wrestling. They've always been more in that whole entire vibe and even using that vibe to help, you know, in, in protecting the streets or wherever you, you want to take that kind of vibe and internal aggression and even use it peacefully to help people. I mean, where, where, where's your mindset at with combat sports in general these days and its influence on the current marketplace? Wow. Um, I, I, I agree with everything you said and, uh, I, I'm getting involved in a, in a new combat sport, the slaps fighting. And I'm a fan to an extent of, MMA. I mean, I don't really watch wrestling anymore um, because the stuff like I listen to the Ramones mm-hmm. because the expendable tone. There hasn't been another Ramones. I listen mm-hmm. to the Clash. There hasn't <laughs> been another Clash. Uh, I, I I watch all Japan wrestling from the the early nineties. You know, um, so. I, I'm not sure how to answer that question because the original idea behind UFC, I was at the first one and it was all these styles, no gloves, no weight class. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, what's a better style? And I'm like, no, you're missing the point. This has got nothing to do with styles. Who's got the bigger fucking balls. And, and, and now the WWE and AEW and every other company out there and MMA companies you don't see any diversity. There's nothing in there to make a guy like me, a guy like you, emotionally invest in the personality of the fighters because now it's very cookie cutter. And I get that. It's okay. It's the evolution of, and it has to happen. But now it's a business. You're hearing guys who've had three fights. I'm the greatest of all time. Bitch, come to fucking East Los Angeles and, and uh, when, when there's no money and no food, and fucking say that out loud. And we'll see how tough you are and how fucking greatest of all time you are. They'll put you in a barbecue and eat you, you motherfucker. So, <laughs> I, you know, the whole machismo and tough guy thing, I, I've never been into that. I've always been into the Bushido, Bushido code and, and, and the heart of a warrior, which is because I grew up poor. I grew up with a dad. I grew up being bullied. So I've had to stand up and take it my whole life. This new sport that I'm getting into, for example, You've got to stand there in front of a guy who's a fucking maniac, a fucking maniac, a maniac, a fucking crazy motherfucker, and put your hands behind your back and say, fucking go as hard as you can. Come on, you motherfucker. And you look him in the eye and bam. And is that it? And then you fucking go. And he comes back. So to me, a true warrior a true fucking warrior with no fear 
Forget about the glory and the, and the beautiful models and all that other bullshit. You want to talk about combat sports? Well, let's talk about real fucking warriors who are going out there who have no other th- option in life to feed their fucking families, and they put themselves in danger. One shot, and they could die. That is combat sports. This other shit, although I respect the fuck out of it, and I love it, and it's exciting, and it's great, and it's awesome to watch, and I'm entertained as a motherfucker. I'm a big fan of all those dudes. I think it's lost. It's become a business. It's not a warrior's code anymore. It's just not. And I'm not speaking bad about the athletes. And, yes, they train and all that kind of stuff. But you're fucking pussies. Sorry. My hand hurts. My leg hurts. I, I can't. My training camp was bad. I wasn't on my game. Fuck you. What? If I, if I'm an Olympic swimmer, does that make me a good swimmer? Does it really? Yeah, it does. If I jump into a swimming pool and the, the water's not that deep and I got 400 lifeguards around and my coaches are there and my nutrition's on point and I'm sleeping and I got massage. All right. Well, let me put some blood on you. Tie one of your fucking hands behind your back. Throw you off a boat in the black of night with a blindfold on in shark infested waters a mile away from shore. Then tell me you're a good swimmer. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of comments always get me in trouble. But you asked. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It shouldn't get you in trouble. Go for it, Byron. What are you going to ask him? I wanted to ask uh, you're talking about a lot of like, um, like the mainstream examples are combat sports and i was wondering and uh, i think it's super rad you're watching uh that you brought up old all japan um there's nothing like that um ever since uh, but i was wondering if you watch any of the more underground or independent wrestling or the smaller shows um, i'm all about the indies i yeah I, I fell in love i never got to do that because vampiro happened by accident and vampiro went to this another planet like yeah. the first day I I'm in the only wrestling I'm involved in now is the Indies. I support it 100%. I fucking love it. I think it's so awesome because it just is what it's supposed to be. And that's it. And I, I, I belong there and I didn't get to do that. Then I get to do it now. Like I'm touring with my spoken word and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. that's my public. That's my audience. And I just go and hang out and I watch and they're like, what the fuck are you doing here watching the show? I was like, am I not allowed to, or what? You know what I mean? <laughs> Like I, I absolutely support the indie scene and the indie workers more than anything in the world. I would go to an indie show with ten people before WrestleMania any day. Yeah, yeah, same. Nice. Oh man, um, I, I love yeah. the indie shows too. It's like that's that's where we've seen a lot of the people who are, you know, getting to be the top people in the business. All, you know, yeah. all of us have seen these guys in indie promotions. You know. Hands down. Most of the top guys that are out there right now, I think the four of us have probably seen yeah. in an indie long before yeah. anybody knew their name. Or when was, they had uh, a different name. I think the top guys in all the companies need to be allowed to work indie shows and mm-hmm. be around real people that aren't in their ear telling them how to dress, how to breathe, how to do this. They need to be around vets who've traveled the highways of the United States and Europe for years eating donuts and drinking a carton of milk to survive and sleeping in the car because there's so many guys that are so talented out there, but they don't have the scar tissue. So you you can't be 120 pounds. And just because you're a gymnast and you can do a moonsault and land on your feet and you put your arms out like this, you don't convince me that you're a, an aggressive, violent person. You know what I'm saying? You skinny mm-hmm. little motherfucker. So it's like you've never been in a fight. So don't act like you have. Mm-hmm. Become a right. wrestler. 
Become a showman, but don't have the persona in real life that you're a bad motherfucker because you're not. But the old school guys on the indies, they were. And none of them wanted to go to the big companies because they made more money and they were more comfortable being in their zone where they didn't have to fucking listen and they would fight you. That's what's missing. I have to agree. And and honestly, it's one of the things that, and we talk about it on the art show quite a bit too, of you, you see people, especially that go through the performance center and some of them are, are honestly, you know, gifted athletes, but when they come in really early they don't really break through very good. And then you see the guys who have been out on the indies and doing stuff and, and have more experience like El Hio del Fantasma or those guys who have been around forever. And then they go through there. Of course, they jump right to the front of the pack because they don't need to go to school. They've been in school out in the streets. They've been in school on the road making towns yeah. in, you know, some shitty rental car that broke down halfway there. You know, they've already been in school. And and it's so weird to me now that you have this whole other section of wrestling that is trying to just teach that right out of the box, right out of a can and, and program some of these guys. And some of them look, some of them still succeed, but a lot of them don't because they haven't been on out there to me. And that's my opinion too. There's too many guys that want to be superstars without earning it. It's like, if you look at horror movies, you look yes. at shark, sharknado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's embarrassing. And then, he, and then some of my friends have been in those movies, not, not John Morrison, other friends. I would never speak bad about John. Um, and they're like, I'm, I'm acting in a movie. You're fucking making a fool of yourself. One of the shittiest movies ever, you fucking moron. It's like they've taken terror and turned it into a very horrible comedy. And then they take themselves seriously. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at Jaws, the original Jaws movie, it scared the living shit out of the world for decades. Why? Because you never saw the shark. You didn't need to because you knew the shark was going to get you. It didn't fucking matter. Sharknado, that's all you do is see the sharks. <laughs> A million of them flying through the Terrible air. Terrible CGI. Old school wrestling, you really knew that those guys would hurt you. You knew that they would bite you. You knew they would stab you. That You knew they were going to beat you senseless. The new guys who have their little fucking Hello Kitty tights on and they're all, they're all dating each other and they're all holding hands with their puppies on Instagram. Yeah, that doesn't really intimidate me. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, having been to the ECW arena back in the day, there's at least a, three or four of those guys I'm pretty sure would have shoot killed me if I fucked up in some way. I mean, I'm wrong. Because I have, I'm not, and believe me, I'm not judging anyone. And God bless the new generation. And please make your money and, and have a great life. But I, you know, uh, I, I would break my fingers and during the matches, like this one, which one is it? This one, this one's kind of like permanently bent. And I, I remember it was, it was uh, pointed out that way. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I just went, and I kept going. And I remember one time Sabu had a thing and he just like, vamp, hold my fucking deal. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He took some crazy glue and he, and he did this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that? I was like, let's go. You know what I mean? You know, it's like, it, it, it's, it's, it's like, uh, grow some fucking balls and, and, and get off the pedestal. Stop separating yourself from the business, the wrestling history, the tradition, pay respects, 
Pay respect to the fans. Do your time on the indies. Don't go to a performance center and get your little speedo and call yourself a pro wrestler. Earn the right to call yourself a pro wrestler by being a pro wrestler, putting your time in in your community, going to the gym, doing the indies, signing autographs, driving across the country, not eating, not paying your bills, sleeping on the fucking floor of a hotel room. Put your time in. Get your hands dirty. Then another wrestler is going to look at you and say, ah, come over here, kid, and sit by me. Well, so this this brings me to a very specific wrestler that I want to ask you about, because I was watching Nail in the Coffin, and there's a little bit of him in this. And to me, this guy seems like, seems like he is a little bit of that throwback and that he's paying some respect to what's been there before. Didn't want to go to the top too fast because he wanted to pay some dues and also has a legit mean streak. And maybe he's a legit tough guy. Maybe it's all a work. I don't know. But what are your thoughts on Kevin Cross now carrying crossover in WWE? Uh, I, I think Kevin should be the next big superstar heavyweight. There's no doubt about it. There's He's educated. He's, he's legit in his work. He's mature. He's very, very on point, and he's, he's talented. The only thing that he needs is more experience in front of live crowds, like to get it crisper. But as far as the mentality and the personality, I, I sincerely think he should be the next Triple H type person like at that level. He should be that guy. There's no doubt about it. He really should. He just needs to tighten it up a little bit in the ring. Well, speaking of which, in that documentary, I mean, he drops you with one of those doomsday Japanese Saito slams right on your head. What was that moment like for you? There's a young guy that, you know, you're trying to get over. But that that part of that movie really got me, man. Seeing two guys that I really like and then seeing you not walk away from it being okay. I told him because I I was really, really sick, really sick. I just had a stroke. Um. I, I mean, the, the arthritis was is, is so bad. I was dying. I was I was literally dying. And and uh, I said, Kevin, you have to do this, or you're not going to get over. He says, I can't. You're my friend. I don't want to hurt you. I said, I, I'm going to fight you if you don't do it. And I'm not fucking kidding. I don't I don't give a shit about your martial arts background. Fuck you, you big pussy. And I said to him, I I I, I wouldn't put my life on the line if it wasn't for the right reason. And you are being eaten alive down here by all these jealous people. I won't do this for anybody else. And uh, I, I, he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, give me your suplex and put me on my head. And he was like, what is wrong with you? And I said, <laughs> you, one day you'll understand when you're in my shoes. And I thought to myself, there's no other way I can do these things. I have to go 100 miles an hour and hit the wall or there's no point. I mean, I just spent my whole life doing this. I got legions of people who meet me every day and tell me how much I mean to them. And I don't even know why. So those people deserve this. Yeah. There's, there's another moment from nail in the coffin that I've got to ask you about. Cause we've all speculated on it for a couple of years now. And uh, it, it's kind of a two-part question. Are you enjoying question. this interview? Huh? Are you enjoying this interview? Oh, Dude, absolutely. So absolutely. <laughs> yeah, are you? Kids at Christmas. Yeah, yeah, of course I am. This is I, great. I have to ask you about 
the sexy star moment because Oof. you know having done some some MMA myself I saw the arm bar and I I think there's a difference first of all between a cross arm breaker and a genuine arm bar and it looked like she sank in a real arm bar she took some liberties she went a little too far and I know you were sitting right there next to Krista Joseph and I've talked to Chris about it a couple times too and he said he didn't really know because it wasn't his place to know if she was really fucking up or not, but that everyone else was pissed and that you guys had a lot, especially back in Lucha underground riding on sexy at the time. And everyone was really disappointed and let down. But I'm wondering if at this point you can talk about what that moment was like when you were the guy sitting in the chair and that happens and the whole world is now judging wrestling and that event based on this one moment from this one person that may have lost it. I, 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 it's, it's, um, I talked about it right there and then, um, I, I, I watched the whole thing happen and nobody knows the whole story. So I'll tell you. And, uh, I, I do believe, I think I was in a fight the other day. I forgot. <laughs> I gotta stop that shit. Um, sorry. Uh, yeah. What the fuck? Um, look, it's so funny how fast people are to to know everything when they know nothing. And I'm not just talking about wrestling. I'm talking about anything else in the world, right? So what really happened there, there was years of animosity. There was years of really bad, dirty laundry amongst the women. Uh, like any other industry, sexual favors in the office, jealousy behind the scenes, you stole my man. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, just, just horrendous things that these women have to. Unfortunately, probably not as much now. Guys too, believe it or not, uh, homosexual favors and things like that. It really destroys people. And there are some people who have such big egos that they really, really need this fame, and it's all they have, and it's all they live for. And I understand that, and that's completely fine. What happened there, there was a lot of heat with the women, not Rosemary, with the Mexican girls, because they've been battling for years. Some of them had famous fathers. Some of them uh, had Japanese mentality. Some of them, all of them hated each other. And they all hated Sexy Star because she, I don't know, I didn't see it, but she wasn't very good with people. And they... They watch, watch the match and pay attention. They beat her up. And every mm-hmm. time she tried to get out of things, they held her in place. And you can see her trying to get out. There's one moment where Ayako Hamada has her by the hair and Sexy's trying to break it to go to another sequence. And Hamada just, no. And, and they keep hitting Sexy. So Sexy has an ego and an attitude. And her husband is a world champion boxer. He was in the front row. So all these things added to the fuel, to the fire that's been building up for years and years and years and years. So watch right before it happens. Sexy star gets a little bit of a comeback and and she puts it into everybody. Punches, hits, whatever it is. And I sincerely think that it, it could have been anybody that was there. Sexy star did do a cheap shot 
And it might have been because of the heat of the moment. But I'm a pro fighter. I'm a street guy. I'm in the Guardian Angels. I'm a Krav Maga black belt. I'm a Taekwondo black belt. I'm a Judo black belt. Um, I've been in a lot of fights. When you're in that moment, you either do it or you do not do it. It is by choice. And that was not an accident. I saw what she did. And at the last second, that little hip pump, that's all you, that, that's, that's what you need to pop an elbow. And she knew exactly what she was doing, but she did it for the wrong reasons. She did it because she was not in control of her temper and it escalated. So that, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and it was because uh, she she did it to the one person that kind of wasn't fucking with her too, which yeah. sucks. Yeah, but but she did. But at the same time, you know, they're they're used. To, when I broke in in the early '80s, there was a way around that. You know, if somebody did that, it was very rare because there was such a unity in the dressing room. But if mm-hmm. somebody did that, you don't go to the office. You don't make a big public scandal about it. You don't cry. You know, oh, my God, I went to Mexico and I got hurt. God bless Rosemary. I don't really know her. And I, and I feel so bad that that was her experience. Nobody deserves to get hurt in this business. We trust each other. And you cross the line. And Rosemary really got fucked on that one. She didn't deserve it. And and God bless her for, for continuing to, on with her career to the success she has. And if I ever see her again, I hope she remembers me and and we are friends. I consider her a friend, but uh, it was wrong and sexy should have got her ass kicked right there on the spot by somebody. It's like a hockey fight. You hit the, you hit the star, you do something bad. The goon comes out, you go, it's over. Did you understand the message? Yeah, I did. It's done. This turned into a soap opera that should have never happened. Yeah, it kind of blew up. Yeah. It was uh, it was trial by public opinion almost to a certain extent, and, and it was a lot it of pressure from the outside. Out of hand, and the public was correct. The pl- yeah. was right. I was going to say I'd seen a lot of stuff um, and met kind of whispers about backstage being absolute like just mayhem when she got back there and yeah. people had to like, well, protect her and stuff. That was yeah, yeah. No, the nail in the coffin. The documentary. Um, it almost felt like um, there's this compelling life story of yours that's being told. And it almost, it almost got overwhelmed by this compelling bit of chaos that is backstage at triple mania. You know, it was like these two big things were fighting each other for attention in that documentary. It almost felt like there should be, should have been like two movies because I would love (laughs) for two hours, but there was only one brother. There's only one. I mean, I would, I would watch two hours of, of, of you and I would watch two hours of what you had to put up with. Then you did, where'd you see the movie? Because you obviously didn't see the DVD because there's an hour and a half of extras on the DVD. Oh, oh no, no shit. I gotta pick that up. Oh, I saw it. I saw it on demand. How do we find that? Yeah. 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 You got to go to Raven Banner, bro. They're the Raven Banner on High Spots. Okay. Nice. nice. High Spots has a whole bunch. I signed them all. You got to watch the extras. Oh, hell yeah. I even, do a I even do a paranormal investigation on that fucker. Aren't you oh, doing? Yeah, a, aren't you doing? A, um, uh, or starting up again? One of your shows? One of your paranormal shows? Right there. That right. Yeah. That's a cemetery in Guadalajara, Mexico. That's the the Pan- Panteon de Belén, the Belén Cemetery. That right there is an urban legend. That tree 
over my shoulder is the model for Sleepy Hollow. That stone that's open, that, and it has the tree growing through it. If you can see right here, yeah. a tree, it's dead, but it's growing through this tomb. That's a vampire's tomb. And the legend is when you don't need, you know, the classic, when they caught the vampire right there, they put the stake through his heart right there. They say that that tree is a result because the stake stood and his bodily fluid, the blood went into the ground and this tree grew dead and it's growing through his tomb. I've been down in there. My very first paranormal investigation, I went down in that tomb. It's like a, a shopping mall. It's huge down there. It's a mausoleum. You can hold over 200 people down there and it's dark and dank. And it's horribly scary. And, and and I absolutely love this cemetery because it's beyond belief. And it's like our favorite places. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I would love to see more of the paranormal stuff. Like I've seen clips of your old show, but I haven't seen like every episode. Like I wish it was streaming somewhere that I could watch all of it, even though my Spanish sucks and I know a lot of it's in Spanish. Like I, I just love paranormal investigations and knowing you're there doing it. Makes it even better because I know you're not going to bullshit us about what you believe and what you don't. No, I start on the show again this Sunday. Um, and oh, I get, fuck yeah. And I'm going to be doing the shows on my travels and I'm going to be putting them on Facebook and they'll be on TV in Mexico. So oh yeah, that's already started, my friend. Awesome. If you're listening to this and you haven't visited LuchaCentral.com, it's time to do it. LuchaCentral.com is the online home for Lucha Libre, where you can get all of the top news in English and in Spanish. Find the best curated video content and original content not seen anywhere else. Find when Lucha Libre events would be happening in your area. Find photo galleries from top photographers covering Lucha Libre around the world. From weekly polls to annual awards. Seen and read by top executives in all of the major Lucha Libre promotions across the globe. And on top of that, it's free. LuchaCentral.com, your centralized place for all things Lucha Libre. So I got to ask you this, another fan question we got submitted through LuchaCentral.com and Expo Lucha. We have Albert Asker from Boise, Idaho, wants to know, Vampiro, you've been in more than a few comic books in Mexico, specifically Sensational De Luchas. How important are comic books to wrestling in terms of marketing? Also, was there ever a real-life Super Nina? What the fuck is a Super Nina? I have no idea. I'm just reading the question. <laughs> but but it does kind of go to your interest in comic books and what their importance is on kind of the pop culture behind combat sports now. And, you know, what's it like being featured as someone else's art, you know, and, and what's the importance of that, especially with the Lucha Libre culture? When, when Conan and myself were in those comic books, um, this was really before merchandising in wrestling in Mexico was even thought of. Uh, so to have two wrestlers, foreigners in because that's a comic book series. It's not just about wrestling. It's usually, you know, um, like true crime and, or, or, you know, cowboy stories or, you know, it was like a, a soap opera. They were very, very po popular, popular, popular because people would spend so much time on the buses or the subways every day coming, going for what, sometimes three and four hours. So they would, they would read these stories and it was just, 
it was like a soap opera. It was a complete thought out story. And I didn't know about it until, you know, sometimes fans would show up years later and can you sign this? And I'm like, what the fuck is that? I didn't even know what was going on. I had no clue. Nobody asked me. They just, they just did them. I had no clue. Typical of marketing around Lucha Libre. (laughs) You know, Justin, that actually leads to a question I have because there's another, there's another character that's had some comic books about him. And it remind, it reminded me of one of the best moments that I've ever seen in professional wrestling. And it was the time that you grabbed that little fucker came Onito and you gave him a two stone pile driver. It was one of the greatest moments in my life. And I could watch that clip over and over again. Byron's going to insert it here too for people. I'm but I just want to know your, your thoughts. And also I want to ask you, because when you were announcing on Lucha Underground and doing commentary, every time Masquerita got beat up, <laughs> you would laugh. And I think it's connected to that. But I also think, like, why is it so hilarious when a little person gets beat up by a larger person? Because you're right. It's hilarious. <laughs> but I just want to know why that, like, sparks something in us. Because they're like little fucking aliens. People with big heads that scares. It makes me uncomfortable, you know? <laughs> You can't, how does that guy wipe his ass? You know what I mean? His fucking arms can't even touch his hips. So I, <laughs> I love these interviews. Yeah, so much good stuff. You know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not discriminating, but it's like, it's like, listen, you little fuck. You know what I mean? It's like, it's bad enough that we're all trying to make a living at this, you know? And just because you're, you're you know, you've got an affliction and stuff like that. I'm really sorry. You know, it's not my fault, you know? I got brain damage and shit like that. It's not your fault, so I don't fucking throw it on your plate every day. It's it, it's like, don't don't play the 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 card in public. Oh, can I go first? I need the special seat and all that kind of stuff. And then you come in the dressing room and you're a rock star. Don't fucking do that, man. Be authentic, twenty four seven. Own it. You know what I'm saying? And these guys are talented. They're great wrestlers, but they got an attitude and an ego, and it's like. If you're looking at it from a wrestling standpoint, they didn't draw any money. They were a big part of a big company that drew major money, but it was a team effort. There was 80 guys on the card. Triple A, when they started, they did, yeah, they had Conan and a couple other guys, but it was the whole crew that drew the money. So when you got a little guy like that who, who acts like he was one of the ones, it was like, I'm not the guy to do that in front of because I was there, motherfucker. So don't, don't do that, you know, and be cool, be humble, say thank you. You know, if somebody comes in the dressing room, get off the fucking chair and say hello to them. You know, don't make them come up to you. You know, you know it's, I don't like that. So, and that little fucking Kenny dude, Moto dude was like that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, okay. I'm not a joke. You all made me the teen idol. You all made me the guy that the girls like. I never said that shit. I'm a street guy. You did that. Now that I'm the heel and I got this little guy coming in there and, and laughing at me, um, trying to get over on me. If it was choreographed and you asked me and it was part of the show, of course. But if you try to do it and get over on me, can't do it, dude. So I thought, all right, well, 
I'm going to fucking kick you and pile drive you, dude. And you're just going to take it like everybody else. And there's nothing you can do about it. Era particular. Señoras y señores, esto es lo increíble. Pongan mucha atención porque viene Vampiro Canadiense. Y aquí está, qué bonito. Observen cómo este tapetito de baño es sacrificado con este marretinete. El tapetito estaba muy duro, estaba apelmazado y necesitaba aflojar esos pelos. Aquí lo tenemos nuevamente en la repetición. Vampiro canadiense haciendo bien su trabajo y después es sacado. It's so good. It's so good. The video is like a minute 15. And I don't have that other fucker in Lucha Underground because everybody was like, oh, my God, he's so talented. This is so cute. And I was like, fuck him. <laughs> fuck him. Fuck him in his ear. Um, let me throw in another one here. I've Let's changed. I've calmed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, another another gonna... Australian listener. We got to throw in a question for our homie. And put him in my front yard. <laughs> <laughs> we got to throw in a question from Lucha Spawn from Down Under, aka Coma Toast. Um, he wants to know about your memories on wrestling and music with ICP and the whole Psychopathic Records Juggalo family. Like, what was your experience like uh, in the whole Juggalo world? Oh, the Lotus Pod. It yeah. was awesome. It was fun. It was great because they're just like us. They're one of us, you know what I'm saying? And it was three, you know, Joey and Joe, like Violent J and Shaggy and myself hanging out and traveling on the bus together and just watching wrestling and watching South Park and doing these shows. It was like, how fucking awesome is this? It's, it's just incredible. And the fans who aren't fans, their family, all the Juggalo kids, it, it's just incredible, man. And, you know, it, it's just something you can't buy. You can't fabricate. You're either in or you're out. And it really bothered a lot of people in wrestling that everybody wanted to be really famous and have the look and the body. And we were like, yo, man, where's the fucking party? You know, let's go <laughs> hang out with our people. Let's go do a barbecue. Let's have a softball game. Let's hang out. It was a whole other thing, man. It, it, it's just you you either get it or you don't. As, on All the right. back of that one, um, what, must it, what was it like um, being with the Misfits as well? Because obviously you grew, you know, grew up in CBGBs, like, you know, seeing them and listening to their records for a, for a fan now help bringing them into your world. It was, it was crazy um, because Jerry only is Jerry only 24 seven. That, mm -hmm. that, that guy you see on stage, that's, you go to the lobby, you go to church on Sunday morning and the old, that'll be, you'll be there just like that. And he likes that attention. He wants that. He loves that. And God bless him for it. And he deserves it. But he's that guy. He'll go to the bar dressed like Jerry only and hang out and talk to you all night about anything. He loves that. Me, Doyle, and Mikey Graves, man, we were like, we're in the room playing PlayStation. You know, it was like, okay, you go ahead, brother. And we were just like, Let's have some fucking food. Let's go to the gym and let's play some PlayStation. That was kind of it. Yeah. It was fun. You know, man, it was that, great. That I have to ask you because you mentioned PlayStation. You mentioned it in the documentary. I know it's a big thing that you're into. What games are you playing, man? I, I'm a big Call of Duty guy. 
modern gotcha. warfare, all those first person shooters, because it's the only place I can relax. Yeah. 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 Just shoot people. <laughs> I, I was watching you. <laughs> Kill it without jail time. You know. Honestly, uh, I really enjoy it because of the authenticity of the combat. It's really good. And being a Krav Maga guy, a martial arts guy, and, and being in those scenarios as a police instructor, a lot of the movements and a lot of the weaponry and, and a lot of the scenarios are, are very authentic. They're very, very authentic. I like that. I play a lot of NHL. Um, and I play a lot of Resident Evil, you know, Silent Hill, that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Dude, have you seen the demo for the new Resident Evil? That shit is dope. The PS5 one. Holy shit. That's going to be amazing. It is. But I still, the first game is my favorite. And the game with the virtual reality, that's the deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. The last one, uh, Biohazard. Yeah. Watch oh. the fuck out, man. Yeah I, yeah, I like that stuff because the first one. I like it better than the rest because it was like a real horror movie. Like mm-hmm. you had yeah. to think there it wasn't hurried. You had to tell a story. You had to understand the story. The scary stuff wasn't around every corner. It was like, fuck, when's it coming? Motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect old school wrestling uh, psychology. So you those, get dog, those dogs bust out the window and make you oh, shit Jesus. your pants. Yeah. 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 You know, you, you, when you, there's one scene in the first game, you got to walk on the bus and you know, <laughs> they're fucking going to come alive and you don't know which one it is. Cause they all look the same. The newer games, you can kind of tell which one's going to pop up. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck this. And you get to the back and nothing happened and it's great. And then you, all of a sudden you see they're coming down the street and you turn around, you go to get out of the bus and motherfuckers are waking up. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm like, Oh my God, what the fuck is going on here? You know, I love did, that. Did you get on the cyberpunk bandwagon when it came out recently? No, don't, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't fall for it. The game, the game doesn't it. even fucking work, bro. Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, we, our first person shooter, a choice that most of us play. Well, I guess yes. all of us play is uh predator hunting grounds. You ever play that shit? No, it's oh, kind of so cool. It's like, yeah, like if the five of us played, right? Like four of us would be soldier dudes and one of us would be the predator trying to fucking murder the rest of us. Yeah. While they it's, try to do a regular mission and shit or kill the predator. It's it's pretty complex, but it's fucking awesome. Guess what's wrong with the predator? Oh, dude, go for it. <laughs> the, the, the uh, is, it's the most fun. Dude. famous online because what we did was we wouldn't play with guns. So all four of us would play as the, um, the like, army dudes. And the computer, like someone like across the world would be Predator, and we just played with knives. Yeah. Hand to hand with Predator. That's all we did. Went went fucking nuts. (laughs) We'd lose half the time, but but we'd see people on message boards like complaining about us and shit. And I'm like, fuck, (laughs) we fucking did it right there. We're dicks. (laughs) You have to be. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you about a a fellow Canadian of yours. I want to ask you about Taya Valkyrie. We know that she's uh, she's headed to WWE now. Um, but there was this moment in AAA with the whole dropping the belt and Mundo bringing the belt to you thing. Like, cl- clear it up for us. What the hell happened with with Taya leaving AAA that time? What was the deal? What's the real story, man? Yeah, uh, it, it's. It's not good. Um, it, 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 it turned out bad. Uh, I'll, I'll, the only thing I want to say about it, because I've apologized to her since, I'm not sure what she says about it. I got no clue. I, I don't really, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me. 
But um, God bless her. God bless Johnny. I love them both. You know, best of luck to her. Uh, I was made a scapegoat, but I was also the person in charge, and I'll take all the blame for it. Yeah, it, it happened. There was a, there's a there is a major backstory. I'll tell you off the air, but I, it's not correct because it'll hurt her a lot. It really will. And um, I I just I'll accept the responsibility for all of it. Noble, cool. uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a, a quick question, if I can jump in. Um, speaking of, we were just talking about video games, reminded me of another uh, Lucha Underground talent that streams a lot of video games. Um, I don't know if you guys have gotten together on that, but um, but Marty the Moth going from Comedy Fodder Season 1 to one of the last champs in Season 4, uh, we've talked to him about his ascension and about how he went to you and you helped consult him as far as career decisions and paths and going from one to the other. Uh, I wanted to get your side of that story, um, your perspective on his Lucha Underground career. When somebody comes to me and they're sincerely authentic and they, and they say, can you help me? And I see it in their eyes and I have a conversation with them and I got a vibe from them. I, I will put my life on the line for that person. And, I just saw, I, st- I stood back and I watched what they were trying to do with him. And I was like, uh, let me have him, give him to me. And I sat him down and I said, what do you want to do? And I said, because this is what you're going to do. And I said, you have to be, you have to become the cable guy. Oh, yeah. That's go and watch the cable guy and then go and watch this serial killer and come up with something. That's who you are from now on out. And he looked at me like, what are you? I said, don't ask me. I expect to see this next week. And uh, he came back and his life changed and his stock in the company changed and his career changed. And I, it goes back to if you only support somebody who has faith and believes in themselves, they can do miracles. I only supported him with ideas and belief. And I showed him, I had faith in him. He did the rest. And he, to me, the character that he became, it was very scary. It was very scary because it was horrible. And I just said, don't change it. You're the cable guy and you're this serial killer. Put them together. And, and that's who you are. And it worked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have um, a piece of uh, a history. I, I bought a, uh, uh, Pentagon's mask from that match. So I actually have a little bit of Pentagon's, a little bit of um, Marty's blood with me <laughs> at in all a times. bag at all times uh, to, help, gross. to help guide me. Um, but yeah, that match, that, that last, the last main event um, of the underground was just, it was something else. And also like, I remember we were talking to Eric and he was a little skittish that day. I mean, the, Marty was Marty carried that mentality that that you were describing when you and Ricky would get together, uh, yeah. and you know it's it becomes almost concerning because here's a guy who is fully aware of the opportunity in front of him, and he's going to do everything that he can, and you maybe some that he can't. You know what, Marty, and this is a big compliment. 
Marty was our generation's Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. He, he, he was, because you never knew if Roddy was going to snap or what the fuck was up. And Marty did that. And I haven't seen anybody else do that. That's a, a huge compliment. One of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he came from, he came a long way too. I mean, he started off and his storyline was basically, you know, he was the on camera version of Vinny Massaro. And then at the end, you know, he's fighting in a pool of blood for the title. You know, that, that's a, a long way to go in four years. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. And, uh, very proud to have been a part of that. Yeah. It was incredible. It was amazing. It was amazing. Ah. So I have to ask you this. There's a lot of controversy about season four of Lucha Underground and the so-called whitening of Lucha Underground. What's your opinion? What's your take on it? Was there enough Lucha Libre? Was there enough respect to Mexican talent in the final season? Or did it go too far in the other direction uh, of wrestling in that fourth and final season of Lucha Underground? I know exactly what happened and I know absolutely nothing. Um, it was a horrible ending. It was a, it, now after being around this business, as long as I have, um, I saw now, now I, I can dissect it and I and I understand it because I've seen these, 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 uh, horrible lies enough times and and uh it was a power play i can't say by who but it was a power play and it backfired and that's why there was no mexicans on the show and it was horrible and i believe that the show if it was going to end should have ended in season three then yeah i mean it it kind of felt that way and like i was there for every single taping of season four and there was a lot of stuff that i loved that happened there and, and while it was happening, I didn't mind it so much. But then when I went back and watched a lot of it when it aired and it was like, fuck, is this really where we're going to leave it? Is this the legacy mm-hmm. that Lucha Underground is going to have now? And and like, look, I like Jake Hagar. He's a nice guy and everything. And I, I spent some time and I hung out with him after Ultima Lucha 4. But at the same time, it was like, that wasn't Lucha Underground to me. That wasn't the, the, the lasting impression that I wanted in it left in my mouth. That wasn't the taste I wanted to have left. Do you want somebody who's not of Mexican heritage cooking you Mexican food and telling you it's authentic? Never. Do you want somebody other than somebody from Japan making you sushi? No. Nah. There you go. Yeah. I think you can do a moonsault and because you can dive uh, and you invent names doesn't mean it's Lucha Libre. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. It, it, you've bastardized it and, and, and ruined it. Those things in Mexico happen for a reason. And it's a traditional thing. It's just like all of these artists coming out with tequilas who don't even speak Spanish. It's, it's, it's really shame on you. Shame on you. I think season four was a shame on you moment but not because of the Americans. So if it ever came back, not that it could with all the IP issues and Lucha Libre FMV and Dorian having their issues now and El Rey being gone and MGM still tying up TV rights and whatnot. 
obviously it's probably never going to come back. But if it did, they would never you left. go back? They call it AEW now, don't they? Another another funny funny thing about that MLW yeah has Azteca Underground with Mil Muertes yeah with Ricky as Mil Muertes in yeah. MLW and I don't know how the it. fuck he worked that out but yeah. hey. I mean, <laughs> mom's I mean, the word. I, I know it's like God bless him and fucking go for it. You know? Yeah, what I mean? yeah. yeah. Um, no, would I go back? No. No, I don't think so. That's it, right? It's done? Well, you can't duplicate magic. No. Once the genie is out of the bottle, the genie doesn't go back in the bottle. That was a moment in time. Max's Kansas City, CBGB's, the Ramones. Green Green Day is your generation's Ramones, but it's not the same because they weren't the first. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm a huge Green Day fan, yeah. And I, <laughs> and I love Green Day, but yeah. my point is – I don't. We, we we did it, and we made the impact that needed to be made. Yeah. That's why it's a legendary, iconic moment in time. It can't be done again. I wanted to no, ask I, you. I, I wanted to ask you, um, and if I'm getting something wrong, just just stop me or correct me. But um, but back to the um, the end, the the disappointing or like weird end to season four. Um, it was. And I don't, I don't mean to talk out of line about anyone, but it was just really weird as a fan to see the battles between, um, you know, the character of Vampiro and Pentagon. Vampiro is this huge, big, imposing figure and legend and in physicality. And then you have uh, one of the season cliffhangers. You see Vampiro's maestro. And it's this other big motherfucker with a cool mask, and this guy looks scary as fuck. And then by the time we see him in person, it's Australian suicide. Who was it? Like, fuck. yeah, who's, who's like a third of your size, and he's supposed to be your master, and it just it just doesn't add up visually to as a fan. Uh, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, or what happened there. Um, I don't know what happened. I, I mean, I do know what happened. I know exactly what happened. But, uh, I, I think that from a storytelling point of view, uh, if you look at Star Wars, Darth Vader's master is that little old guy. Mm-hmm. And he's the most evil thing ever. So when we were trying to figure it out, it was very important. And, and I said, you know, that's fine. I, I agree with it because this is an alternative universe. This is pro wrestling. This is, you just finished doing a show where women fight men on an equal playing field and the women survive. And I was thinking, I'm against that so much because of domestic violence and everything like that. And it's not, it's not real. So when they said everybody was complaining about Australian suicide, I said, wait a second, this fucking guy deserves a chance just like everybody else. And he's talented and he needs to make a living. Who gives a fuck how big he is? We need to focus on the story. Good versus evil doesn't come in a shape or size or a color. It's a mindset. It's a philosophy. So I, I was all for it because if 
you bow down to evil, but you don't bow down to the person. Evil is what we're going to combat. The soldiers, the people doing the battle, come and go. It's the philosophy of there has to be a solution to this terrible evil that's floating around in the universe. The voices in my head don't have a shape or a size. They're just voices in my head. And I have to fight them every day. And as strong as I am in my personality, my character, and the, the image that you guys have created, the only thing that controls those those voices is a little pill. So if you really look at it from a psychology point of view, it doesn't matter the physical size. You know, uh, a black widow spider can bite you and take your life away. A great white shark, you can escape it. So you really have to step back before and change your perception on what the reality is of following the story, not so much the character. Get invested. That was my point of view. Interesting. Different. So the the much darker place vignette has some truth to it. <laughs> um, Skip Chasen, a lot is of people a- don't know a lot of people don't know who he is. We've, we've had him on the show before, but what do you feel like was his contribution in, in the world of the Hefes that were kind of helping shepherd Lucha underground? If there wasn't for skip Lucha underground would have never happened. The look, the feel, the attitude that was all skip. That was all skip. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a genius. He's, he's a, he's, he's fucking awesome. I, I, Absolutely adore that man. His creativity is insane. His talent is just the way he carries himself as an artist and he understands artists and he makes you a star. He is, he is a diamond in the rough, my friend. (laughs) Well, he, he genuinely has good things to say about you. When he came on our show was right before you were about to do the, the interview show for El Rey and he just had nothing but good things to say about you behind the scenes because he, he couldn't talk about the show yet at the time. But he told us that it was coming and that he was really proud of the work you were doing with that and just how far he's seen you come in even those five years that he's you know been a part of your life. But I, it's, it's crazy to me to think that part of what Lucha Underground is was this cinematic thing that came into wrestling and added storyline and and did wrestling a different way than it had been done before. And I'm really curious, who do you think you guys should have elevated with that storytelling style that you guys didn't get a chance to elevate? Was there anybody out there that you feel like got missed or that should have been bigger and better through Lucha Underground? No, everybody had an opportunity. There wasn't one star on that show. Everybody played a role. And that's what I liked about it. Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think everybody had their had their space. I mean, even, you know, um, even there were trios teams, there were individual talents. Um, it was pretty cut and dry. If you didn't fit, you were let go pretty quick. There wasn't no, let's try, let's see. If you just didn't gel, it was obvious. And that's not an insult. It's just, look, you play violin. This is a heavy metal band. It's, you know, you're a great musician, but you're in the wrong band. Um, 
everybody had their opportunity on that show. Everyone did. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know about the dark matches. We lived for some of those dark matches where yeah. you guys would bring in talent and try them out. And that was where we we kind of discovered Cross ourselves of like, mm-hmm. holy shit, this guy is a thing. He's got a thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we had him on our show before you guys even signed him. He announced getting signed to Lucha Underground on our show because we we felt it early on. But those dark matches were were incredible to us. And seeing the people that didn't make it, it was pretty obvious, too. It was like... Yeah. You know, Sammy Callahan came in. He had a couple of great dark matches. Next thing you know, he's on the show. Other people that were in those matches with him, not so much. Yeah, yeah. If you got the opportunity to drive your car in the race, you better floor it. You know what I mean? And Sammy, Sammy was great. Sammy, Sammy fucking drove me crazy. Um, <laughs> But I re- I appreciated him so much because he drove me crazy because he reminded me a lot of me. He was just so self-confident that he's destined to be a star. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, he's great. He's great for sure. What about what about the other Sammy, Sammy Guevara? Where do you think that kid's headed? I mean, he, he looks like he's got a great upside, but at the same time, he feels like maybe he hasn't had enough time in the business yet. I don't know. My, the verdict for me personally is still out on Sammy Guevara. What do you think of the guy? He's always kind and polite to me. Um, I, I'm hearing stories about his attitude and his choices, but we don't walk in his shoes, so we can't judge. You know, when you're young and you get money and you're put in the spotlight, you start to believe your hype. I'm I'm the most guilty one of that ever. So I fucked up a lot because of that. and. I rubbed people the wrong way because of that. So, I mean, the only thing I can say about Sammy or anybody else is you will have consequences for every single thing you say and do. So use your head. Take your time. Don't listen to your ego. Get your ego out of the game. Um, He's phenomenally talented. He's a young man. And for some reason, he's had some serious scandals in his young career, life-changing, career-ending scandals, and he's still around. So obviously, the people who are paying the bills see something in him. Um, again, I've had nothing but great experiences with him, so I, I don't have anything bad to say. I, I, I know about the comments he made. I know about some of the impact stuff. But again... I'm in, I'm such a different place with my mentality and where I am in life. That it, I'm, I didn't write that story, so it doesn't affect me. And I could give a fuck about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I see him, he says hello, and that's, that's, that's how I judge him. The the lightness and the dark, the the two sides of what you've been through in your career, it seems like a lot. It seems like... It seems like, honestly, to me, a heavy load for one man to carry, that there's been these moments that you live for and you step into that ring or you feel the energy from the crowd or you, you're making towns with somebody and one of your buddies and it's a party. There's the upside and then there's there's the downside of it, the pain, the the drama backstage, the trying to put yourself over, the basically being freelance your whole life and not being able to trust the business that you're in to take care of you. It seems like a hard life. And you've got this daughter now that we know that you put your heart and soul into. I, I'm curious, 
just where how how you got through it all putting both sides of the light and the darkness together to to build a, another human life that i know that you feel responsible for that is the most important thing to you in the world i certainly believe that um a higher power or god chooses certain people for certain things I was attracted to this lifestyle since birth type thing. Um, I've always been a gypsy. I've always confronted everything this way. I've always been in the same situation, whether I've been ultra famous and making a lot of money or very broke and pretty much on the street. Um, I've always been somebody living day to day, not knowing what happens next because I just don't have any stability. And at this stage in the game, I, I, I wouldn't trade this for anything because this is what I know. This is where I excel. And I I've look at it like I, I, I was destined to be somebody to go out and get the most complex experiences, good and bad, and make them simple and tell people stories to help provoke them to find an alternative solution to their problems on their journey in life. So I don't really look at good, bad, black, white, dark, light. I just look at it as I, I'm on this path and I'll take it all on head on. Not a problem. I I have to thank you for doing this. Yes. Thank and, you. And, mm-hmm. and it's really important because for us, we've all we've all seen Vampiro. Everyone has their thoughts about Vampiro. Everyone knows the character, this, that, and the other thing. But for me, I I feel it's important that Ian has something to show the world. And I don't know if you know it, and I don't know if you know what your overall importance is going to be, but I know it because I've felt it, and I think a lot of other people have felt it. And I'm not your best friend. We don't go back a million years, but the person that Ian Hodgkinson is touched me and my life and who I've been and who I've become and what I find entertainment in and what I find passion in. And I think as you go through these next few years, you're going to find that I'm not alone. And there's a lot of us and a lot of them are going to be watching this as they watch Expo Lucha and it's going to mean a lot to them. And I think you mean a lot to a lot of people. And I sincerely hope that you get a chance to see and experience that and feel that for the rest of your time, because your impact has been tremendous. And that's not a word I use lightly. It has been tremendous. Thank you. Um, I don't understand any of it. I, I, I don't understand why you're saying that to me. Um, I'm just a guy who is a pro wrestler. I, I don't understand this impact on people's lives. And it's very uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I don't, I've never ever thought I did anything, you know? Um, I, I don't know how to say thank you. Uh, except that I'll keep working harder and I hope that whatever it is I do 
if you're aware of it, it impacts you in some kind of a positive way. I, I don't deserve any of the things you're saying. I'm grateful to all of you who supported me, who watch me, who listen to me, who take the time to see that I'm more than a wrestler. Um, but I don't know what I am yet. I've just begun living life and uh, I, I'm not able to answer you because I don't know why you would say those things to me. But I can say with all of my heart, I look at all of you like family and uh, I'll never let you down. Well, you know, Bab, you've always if you're, if you're looking, here. yeah, and if you're looking for a way to sum up what you are, I think I can speak for all of us when I say you're the fucking man. That's who you are. You are the fucking man, and you've touched all of our lives, or we wouldn't be here right now. So again, thank you, and whatever you do, we're here to support you, man. I think I've been watching you for like twenty-five years. Okay, I, uh, I'm not the man. But I am that motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yep. Yeah. You're all motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, and you guys better, you know, it's like I got fucking Alzheimer's, man. I beat cancer. I was born blind. I was an epileptic. I went through drug addiction. I died nine times. I've been kidnapped twice. I rose to fame in pro wrestling. I did TV shows. I'm doing all this shit. And out of nowhere, I'm headlining a hotel in Las Vegas. I've never done it in English before. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. I didn't tell them that. <laughs> but I don't care about that show. I want to go to my favorite sushi place when it's over. You know what I mean? I, and then I go home and play PlayStation. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to let you down. And I hope you come and we can enjoy this ride together some more. Awesome. We will. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate it. That was a great interview. It made me look at a lot of things different ways. It made me look at little people in wrestling a lot of different (laughs) ways. Um, Made me look at Samoans differently. Um, Mm -hmm. Certain parts of them, yes. And also, look, I just had a great time. And, you know, there's something we didn't do in this interview because I felt I I couldn't do it to Vampiro when he's here. But there's a certain way we end the episode of Mass Mats and Mayhem. So for all of us here at Mass Mats and Mayhem, to all of you at home, penis. 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 Byron. But we do, but we do sign off in the interview like twice. Oh, oh Jesus Christ! God damn it! Right. He couldn't just say penis. He couldn't just it's, say penis. Couldn't just Jake say Paul. penis. Just should have said. Stay in the mix.